Great news for Informed Pregnancy Plus subscribers. Dive into our Core Connection course included with your subscription. Hosted by Natalie Headings, a pre- and postnatal exercise specialist and ACSM certified personal trainer, she's an incredible teacher. This five-video series equips you with essential insights to understand what your pelvic floor and core are, how they work, and how to enhance pelvic floor and core strength and proper function during and after your pregnancy and birth. Learn about pelvic floor basics, key postural adjustments, effective muscle releases, and breathing techniques for a healthier core and floor. Don't wait. Visit informedpregnancy.tv and get started with the invaluable core connection today. Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin. In today's episode, we're going to be touching on a very difficult topic that isn't talked about very much, which is late-term pregnancy loss. If you listen to the podcast frequently, you probably can tell I love what I do. Every day I get to go into the office and help really nice people, for the most part, feel better during a really nice time in life. And once in a while, when pregnancy doesn't go well, it bites really hard even just to be around somebody who's going through that difficulty. My guest today is a California native. We've only just met, but I can already feel she's an incredible person, just so much warmth and passion. And she's come to share her story. And the only reason why she's doing it is so that she could potentially help somebody else. And it's a really courageous thing to do. I'm very grateful to you. Elise Cerna, welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's so good to be here. I feel so lucky to be able to share my story with you, and you've helped so many people, and I'm just so grateful to be able to be here with you and hopefully help support some more. Yeah, hashtag mutual. Is, uh, <laughs> is, the feelings are very mutual. So you're from California originally. Yes, I'm from a very small town outside of San Diego, the Imperial Valley, and I went to undergraduate school at UC Santa Barbara, where I met my husband and lived there for a while, and then I lived in Texas, and I came oh, wow. back. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I call it like I was studying abroad, um, but no, I lived <laughs> in Texas for a year. I did some post-bachelor work there to get me to my master's, and I'm a speech therapist by trade, so I worked in LA, and that's where I was a speech therapist, and I worked in the school setting with little kiddos, and now we're in San Diego to be closer to family and to be, you know, away from the hustle and bustle of, of LA. <laughs> yeah, it sounds really nice, actually. So when did you kind of go down the path of having kids? 
Um, if you ask me too late in life, no, um, I've <laughs> always wanted to be a mom. I always wanted to have children of my own. When I met my husband, I was like, oh, yes, I want to have your babies. And um, <laughs> <Aww>. it was <laughs> it was just a... Um, is meant to be, but I remember like distinctly talking to my mom when I was little. I carried my baby dolls everywhere. They were my first children. I fed them. I clothed them. They went everywhere with me. And I knew I wanted to be a mom when I met my husband and we waited, you know, we tried to do like the right thing of finishing our degrees, getting married, you know, finding a very responsible place or what we thought was a responsible place in, in LA to live, to have a baby. And so um, we just kind of started there going you, along that path. Do you work with kids? I did. So now I am a stay-at-home mom. I am able oh, to stay home with so, my daughter. So you still I work. love it. <laughs> you do <still> work. <laughs> so how long was it from the time that you thought, I want to have your babies until you actually <laughs> set out to have babies? Almost 10 years. <laughs> oh, wow. You, you waited for the elusive perfect moment. Right? Yeah, we were. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think now there is never a good time like their timing is you know so sensitive in general of a of a concept but after my husband and I got married you know we wanted to wait a little while and buy a house and do all those things check all those boxes but my husband and I had been married it was um almost 2 years when we had our our first daughter oh and then once you started trying to get pregnant did it take long no, my husband would proudly tell you that it was <laughs> not very long. But no, it was such a beautiful time. It was such a beautiful experience to just be in that stage. And I guess like technically, I guess we still are in that stage of like the idea of having babies and, you know, raising a family and that kind of thing. So no, the uh, time from when we started to think about having kids to when I got pregnant with my daughter was... Very quick. <laughs> was, uh, was, how was pregnancy for you? With uh, my oldest daughter, it was like, it was blissful. It was like the best time of my life. It was so much fun. That being said, I did a lot of work. Like I really delved deep uh, into the birth world. I did a lot of, like I researched hypnobirthing. We did hypnobirthing. I was very mindful about like what I was putting out into the world, um, you know, when I was pregnant because I wanted to have such a happy pregnancy. I wanted to be so just like blissed out in my, <laughs> with my belly and with my daughter. And it kind of worked because she was just so healthy all the time. She just had such a personality already in my belly from like day one. Um, I, have to, uh, I have to get more blissful with my belly. That's, that's a goal. That's one of my goals for this year. New Year's resolution, blissful with my belly. Um, you said hypnobirthing. Are you more of a, a natural minded person in general or just when it came to birth? Yes. So yeah, that kind of came, um, coincided with getting pregnant. I kind of delved into that natural world. I always knew I wanted, well, I initially had wanted to have a water birth with my daughter, but then my husband was like, really? Like, I think I kind of took him aback by how, um, 
I don't want to say natural, but how natural I was with my intentions with my daughter. And he was like, where did this come from? Like all of a sudden you want to have an unmedicated birth? Like, are you sure you want to be doing this? And I was like, yes. And I did. And I did. I had a successful unmedicated birth with her. I ate a million dates. I had a doula (laughs) of, you know, I listened to your podcast. I listened to a million other podcasts. Were were you in a hospital? I did. So I delivered, um, I don't know if I can say the name, but um, I delivered in a downtown LA hospital, which Mm. my husband was a little bit nervous about. And he was like, are you sure you want to deliver there? But they had really good reviews for their labor and delivery. And I had an amazing experience there. I recommend all my friends who live in that central area, uh, the downtown area. Um, Silver Lake Highland Park is where we were. Did you work? Oh yeah. Did your hypnobirthing come in handy? Yes. Yes. It set. Well, I did it with a previous guest on your show, uh, Alicia, uh, Alicia Temporary. And she was amazing. And you know, it was so validating for me because it was everything that I had kind of intended. And like, I had always told my husband like, Oh, this is, you know, you, you have to deny the IV and like all the stuff, you know, and then to have her say it, my husband was like, Oh man. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I should really. And I was like, man, I told you that, you know, yeah. but well, to hear it from my- someone else, it clicked for him. I think a lot of partners are like that. Uh, You hear from your own partner, it goes in one ear out the other, you hear from somebody else like, oh, that's interesting. And also Alicia, especially, she's like a little Jedi. I feel like she has magical powers and she'll just say things three times and you have to do it. She does. And she was so soothing. And like, I channeled so much of that during my birth and like, it just helped. And my husband, I mean, he kind of was suspicious of the title of hypnobirthing, but he really got on board and he was such a good partner. And if you ask him, he gave birth unmedicated as well. So, you know. <laughs> did you have a doula with you? I did. I did. We did the doula route. And um, I'm so glad that she was there because, you know, in the moment, she wasn't really as supportive for me as I thought she would be. But for my husband, Mm -hmm. my husband was so glad to have her there. Like he was like, Oh, you know, just someone else to talk to or, um, to kind of like, he would take a break and like go to the restroom and run and hide as (laughs) as I was delivering (laughs) unmedicated as I was laboring. Um, but I think it really helped him to be honest more than me, but I loved her and she was great. And I didn't want, anybody at the birth. Like I just wanted it to be me and my husband and this doula who I had just met two weeks prior, but no, uh, you know, oh, it worked wow. out really well. Close, yeah. to the, close to your delivery. Um, mm-hmm. It sounds like it was a magical experience. Just really everything it was. you, it, from the way you describe it, you put in a lot of work, yeah. researching and mind preparation and body preparation and it paid off. You had a good experience. It was beautiful. I loved it. It was so great. Um, let's take a little break. And when we come back, we will talk about your second pregnancy. We'll be right back with Elise Serna. (laughs) This episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike. Dr. Mom Butt Bomb. As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, 
often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby. Not even diaper rash. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We are talking to Elise Serna. After your beautiful first birth story, how was your transition to motherhood? It was good. It wasn't as beautiful and blissful. I mean... um, (laughs) <laughs> a little bit of a bumpy ride, I would say. Yeah, you know, like, I think nothing can prepare you for the sleep loss, like the sleep deprivation, those first, like, four weeks. Like, everybody says, like, oh, get your sleep now. But there's no way to prepare for that, you know? Like, it's crazy. We were so tired. And my husband was such a good help, too. You know, it wasn't like I was by myself or anything. Like, he was such a good helper. But we were tired and it was, you know, breastfeeding was a whole ball game of, you know, learning curve. So it was tough. I mean, I think like that, what do they call it? The fourth trimester um, was definitely a learning experience. But then I feel like once she started sleeping through the night, then it got easier and then it became pretty blissful and then it was all good. Yeah. How soon after you had her, did you feel ready to do it all over again? About six months. So when I was like, six months. Yeah. And I think, you know, just from my own thoughts, like I was like, maybe I was so ready again, because I had such a beautiful pregnancy with her and I had such a beautiful delivery and it was pretty much everything that I wanted. So when she was six months old, I was like, Ooh, okay. Like, let's start thinking about it again. But I knew that would be pretty crazy. So I like for my own self, I thought, Oh, maybe that's like a little too much. Mm. Um, so we waited, we meaning I told my husband, let's wait a little bit longer, but yeah, it was, I mean, it was fairly short timing. Like I, I really wanted my children to be close in age. You know, I thought that I could plan it and, you know, I, I was blissfully ignorant, I guess, Mm -hmm. but. Did you have your cycle back even? Yes. Yeah. So at at six months, exactly. I think it was, I was trying to remember the other day, but I think it was, yeah, it was six months. Exactly. I was breastfeeding. I I breastfed my daughter for a year. And so I don't know. It was like my body. It was just like a click, a little switch. Oh yeah. Everyone gets it back at a different time. I wonder if you willed it back because you were ready for another one. Ooh, that's an interesting, I know, maybe. Oh, at least you're going to have to tune into this podcast. That was a little, (laughs) you're going to like that. So from the time you decided, let's get pregnant again, would your husband very proudly say it happened quickly again? Yes. Yeah, Dad, (laughs) 
he was like, don't worry about it. And I was like, okay, you know, like maybe I should eat, like, you know, do a diet, like encourage one gender or the other, or, you know, <laughs> get my body ready. Like, you know, all those things that I was like totally ready to dive, you know, into head first in terms of like researching and planning. And he was like, babe, don't worry about it. We're going to be fine. It's going to be great. And it was. <laughs> and you got pregnant quickly. Yes. Um, we're lucky. Yeah. So did that pregnancy, I mean, a lot of people say the second pregnancy is more difficult. I would imagine you're always older. So that plays a role. You've been pregnant or taking care of a, a little tiny human for a while, less time for self-care sometimes when you already have a toddler. How was the second pregnancy for you? Um, it was actually better. Um, okay, once was, in a blue moon, somebody says I that. I know, <laughs> right? I know, I'm just like such an anomaly. No, um, it was actually better because I was uh, less tired. With my daughter, I could fall asleep. It was actually very funny because some people early on in my pregnancy found out I was pregnant because they came to the house at like 4 p.m. or 5 p.m. And I was like dead asleep. I could sleep with my daughter. I remember one time I was driving home and I realized I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm so tired. This is probably unsafe right now. And I like had to just drive straight home because I was so tired and I could just sleep forever. And with my second pregnancy, with my second daughter, I had a lot more energy, which was nice, but you know, I just was so excited. Maybe that was what was, you know, really propelling me forward, but I was so excited. And so were you still I, living in Los Angeles? No, we moved out of LA when my daughter was about seven months old and we moved into a bigger house here in San Diego. And so maybe that was it too. Like the move, like I felt like we can spread out now. Like maybe mm. I have, you know, some more room to grow. Um, but no. And that was like another learning curve too of finding another doctor who would support me and I was so bummed that I was gonna have to find another doctor in another place to give birth and it ended up being okay. Yeah, what did you settle on? So I really wanted a home birth um initially, but I was not quite in the mental space for that quite yet. So I settled on um, UCSD here, U University of California in San Diego, has a whole wing, a whole midwife department, similar to UCLA, but I think it's a little bit bigger um, mm -hmm. in comparative size. And they have a whole wing at the hospital and they're really, really supportive of unmedicated births. They have a lot of doulas on call. And so that's ultimately where I chose to live out my second unmedicated birth. Hmm. How did things go as you got closer? Well, there were just like little things that right away from my first appointment, um, they found something in my blood called an antibody that is very, very rare. So my blood built up kind of a resistance to my husband's blood. And so I developed, it's kind of, it's under the umbrella of the RH factor. And so they were monitoring that there's no cure. So they were just monitoring me to make sure that my blood was not fighting with the baby's blood to put it very, very, very basically. So right away they found that. And then at 14 weeks, 
they found that she had a velamentous cord insertion. Mm-hmm. And that's just a difference in the placenta that they kind of assured me was not anything that I needed to be concerned about, but it was something that they would have to monitor throughout the labor. So it was just kind of one thing after another that I felt like, oh, this is very different than my first pregnancy. This is very, a very different case in terms of, you know, my previous, my oldest daughter was so just, everything was picture perfect, textbook perfect. And then this pregnancy, my second pregnancy, it was just a little bit different. Every appointment, it was just different. And then as you got closer to the end, were there other things or was it those two things that they were still monitoring? Would your, would your body's blood attack the baby's blood essentially? And would that cord, which is not inserted in the typical way, would it stay attached to the placenta and keep feeding the baby? Mm-hmm. That, yeah, those were the two main things. And I was having monthly blood draws and I was still under the umbrella of the midwives, but I was seeing a perinatologist and everything from their aspect was going well. They all just thought that I was still on track. She was growing. She was moving around. I started feeling her kicking pretty early. One of the midwives was like, I think that you actually, she was like, you know, kind of looking at me skeptically when I said that I had started feeling her kicking at 15 weeks, hmm. but I knew what it felt like because of my older a, daughter and, yeah. and I knew. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, when did things change when all of a sudden they not go as well? Um, well, at about 26 weeks, I just started to feel different. And I, I've asked myself so many times, like, what, what was it? And I couldn't even put it into words. And I remember telling my husband, like, I just feel not good. I, I'm feeling her kicking less. And I would feel her kicking less. And I, I was not feeling well myself, but it wasn't like something that I could put my finger on. I was more tired. I was just kind of like in a funk. And my husband was saying, well, call your doctor, you know, call and see what's going on. And I was kind of putting it off. And I was thinking, okay, well, you know, I have my 28 week appointment coming up and maybe, maybe I'll just wait and I'll ask them for an extra ultrasound then. But at 26 weeks, she was still moving. She was still kicking. And so I was thinking, okay, it's maybe it's just me. And then at, you know, like 26 weeks and I think it was like five days, I started really noticing that she was moving less and it was right around Thanksgiving. And so I was thinking, you know, Thanksgiving was on Thursday and I remember thinking like, okay, I need to call my doctor. I need to do this. And on Friday I was so tired just from like the holiday. I was almost seven months pregnant with my two-year-old or my she was almost going to be two in, in a few short months. And so it just was like that moment of, I didn't want anything to be wrong as terrible as that sounds, but that Monday, so I was almost 27 weeks on Wednesday. So that Monday I knew something was wrong. I like got super puffy. I kind of like puffed up and I was really tired and kind of dizzy. And so I just knew something was not right. Did you call the doctor at that point? 
yeah so on that Tuesday I emailed my doctor and I said hey you know I'm wondering if I can bump up my appointment to 27 weeks instead of 28 can I come in tomorrow and the way that the email service works um no one got back to me and I was not sure how to move forward. I wasn't sure if I should call the midwife or if I should call the perinatologist. And so on Wednesday morning, I just woke up and I called the hotline. There's like a hotline. And I said, I don't know who I should talk to, but I really need an ultrasound. And I'm just really worried. My baby's not moving. And at that point she had really not been moving. And they said, okay, well, you're very advanced. You're almost 28 weeks and you need to come just straight to the hospital to do a non-stress test. Right. And so that's what I did. So I took my daughter to my next door neighbor and I drove to the hospital. Oh yeah. You were by yourself. I was by myself. It was just this really unlucky turn of events. My husband had driven up to LA the day before to actually give his final notice to his job there in LA. He was still working remotely uh, here in San Diego. And so he was uh, in LA and I called him and I said, Hey, I'm, I have to go to the hospital. I think everything's okay, but I still was really hoping that everything was okay. And he actually left the day before on that Tuesday. And I said, please don't go. I'm not feeling well. You know, I just really want you to be here just in case, you know, if anything happens and I don't want to say that I knew, but maybe some part of me knew that she was not as healthy as I had hoped that she would be. And I really just wanted him. And he, he was like, no, I have to go to LA. And so he was in LA and I drove to the hospital. Well, Elise, and, if you don't mind, I would just take our final break. Oh yeah. Come back and hear the rest of your story. Okay. Yeah. All right. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, it's Dr. Berlin, and I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart, literally, omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient, Needed, the supplement brand I trust, created their brand new omega-3 soft gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, it has a milder taste and smell, perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference, consciously crafted for your health and the planet. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're talking to Elise Serna. So you went to the hospital by yourself for a non-stress test. What happened when you got there? I just got really calm. And I don't know how to say it, but I just got super, like, maybe all that birth work with my older daughter, I just got super hyper-focused. And I was like, okay, like, I don't want to get emotional or like lose my cool because I have to be present. And I knew I had to make a decision to be calm and to be mindfully present at that time, because 
as soon as I got there, they strapped me to the heart rate monitor and I heard her heart and I was like, Oh my God, thank God. And I just like immediately got a wave of relief came over me and I was so happy that I went and I called my husband and I said, don't worry, I'm hearing her heartbeat and you know, don't worry, you don't have to come home from LA. And as soon as I hung up, it was like strategic timing. The nurse came in and she was like, okay, the baby's not moving and we're going to give you some juice. And then I drank a juice. And then like two seconds later was when it just all went dramatically downhill. And like 12 people came into this little tiny room of the stress test and they started hooking me up and doing a big ultrasound. And right away I knew just because I could see the ultrasound and there were like, I think it was like two perinatologists and they just were not very reassuring looking. And they said that she wasn't moving and that even though her heart was beating pretty solidly, that she was really struggling and she had developed high drops. And uh, high drops is a form of anemia or it is, they believe that the high drops that she had was based from previous anemia. So it was tough. What were they recommending that you do? Well, right then, I mean, they did the stress test and there was not good scores. And like right away, they were like, okay, let's deliver this baby. Let's have a C-section. And for like those five minutes that were following, I was just like, oh no, like I've done hypnobirthing. Oh no, are there any other options? You know, um, can we wait for my husband? One of them. Um, but you know, are there any other alternatives? And it was very clear right away. There was no alternative. And I checked in the hospital at nine and she was born at 11. Oh, two hours later. Yeah. So it was, it was by, very fast moving. By C-section. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, all that prepping and, you know, time in a hospital goes so slowly. And mm -hmm. I think that turnaround really indicated that it was supposed to happen quickly for them. And it was, uh, and it was a cesarean birth. Yeah. I mean, just mechanically, how was that for you? It was awful. It was, I mean, I just, like, once again, I was just trying to stay calm and I was trying to you know, be so present and thinking, okay, like this is what's happening. This is what's happening. And every alarm bell was going off, you know, like, no, I don't want to have a C-section. I, I give birth. And I remember like almost telling the doctor, like I give birth really well. I, I did it. I'm medicated, please. Like, and I just realized, you know, as I was being wheeled into the OR, like, oh my gosh, this is, I'm living my worst possible nightmare not just like my own birth nightmare but like my own you know just being alone being in an OR like it's all very um there's no empowerment with a c-section there's no it's a different scenario than what I had had before yeah and also just being so premature and um, yes and knowing that that something was not right with the baby Right. And yeah, and that was, you know, knowing because of the high drops, the staff was amazing and they were so, so great. And I think I was still 
very much in shock. Even like as they were like putting me on the table, I was in such shock. And I remember like leaning down for my spinal block because they did a spinal block. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, this is what it's happening. And I just couldn't believe that that was like the outcome that, you know, just, you know, a week prior, I felt like she was fine. She was happy. She was healthy. You know, I was going down this road of like another unmedicated birth and then boom, like, you know, in a matter of days, everything changed every, and in a matter of hours, everything changed. Right after her birth, what happened next? Were they able to put her on you or did they have to take her away for... No, they, the whole team worked really, you know, to be honest, I, I've even not sure who was even there. I know it was a whole NICU team was there. I mean, there were 20 people in the room and it was really, really quiet and it was really, really intense. And I was just by myself. I was wondering what was happening. Um, One of the perinatologists came after she was born and he said, you know, it's looking pretty grim. And he was like, she's going to have a very difficult journey. You know, if she is able to be revived, I think that's, I think he used the word revived, but you know, it was all just such a blur at that point. And I just kind of, well, I was in so much shock and so much disbelief. And I know that, you know, it's crazy to say, like, how can you not, you know, be aware of what was going on, but it all happened so fast and it was so quick and it was I mean, it, it awful. must be surreal on some level. Very like, much. I, I think just the human mind alone just kind of mutes things to protect mm-hmm. you a little bit from how strong the feelings would be otherwise in the moment. Yeah. And I didn't want to get hysterical. Like I was already so scared of having a spinal block and I was like, Oh my gosh, if I start crying, then maybe I wouldn't be able to breathe. And one of the the anesthesiologists actually was so nice. And he said, do you want to listen to some music? And Hmm. at that time, Kanye's album had just come out and I was like, just play Kanye, just do something, you know? And it was just a really big moment of relief that it was like a, it was very comforting. And so, yeah, so I was like listening to God and trying to like hear what the doctors were saying. And I mean, I laughed right now, but it was, it was awful. And I just wanted my husband to be there. But then I was also grateful that he wasn't because I don't know if I could have remained so strong and have him next to me. Were they able to revive her? No, mm-hmm. no. And, um, I think I forgot who she was, but she was with the NICU team and she said, well, we, we did, you know, I think she said it was like 50 reps or no, she said, normally we do 50 reps, but we gave her 70 and she was sweating. Like I could tell she, at one moment in the OR, just everyone was crying and it was really hard. And I looked around and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, everybody was crying for me and my baby. And to see that level of emotion and to see her dedication. And when she told me, you know, we, we regularly do 50, but 
we tried so hard. We did 70. I think she was talking about um, reps on the paddle. I don't know. I don't know what, to be honest. I know I don't know what, what it was, but everybody tried very, very, very hard. I'm so sorry, Elise. You know, it was, it was tough. It's, it's, it was tough because that's not the outcome that anybody envisions, but it definitely was the furthest from my mind that it could ever be a possibility for me, for my baby, for my family, for my daughter, for my older daughter, you know. I mean, I have so many questions. One is, do they know what ultimately happened if it was one of those two things that you mentioned earlier? So apparently, no, <laughs> apparently it was nothing <laughs> that they were monitoring. Um, a very long story short, because of the high drops, it's a very, very, very rare condition that's, like I said, it's um, sometimes caused by anemia, it's sometimes caused by an infection. Um, they wanted to determine the cause of that. And so by, by virtue of delivering at UCSD. I participated in a research study and they looked at a lot of different things and ultimately it came down to genetics, I guess. And so that I think that's where we are in this journey of determining what the cause was. And we did some genetic counseling and that's what they, they kind of decided was the cause. How long ago was this? It was about eight months ago. How has your recovery been since then? <sighs> that's that's the part of the story that I really want to share and what I want people who might be going through a loss to know is that while it has gotten easier overall, it's just gotten easier to live with. And grief is such a roller coaster. And... The grief is something that I was unprepared for. And I think that living through loss, whether it's loss of a baby or whether it's loss of a family member or a loss of a relationship, grief is something that is, it is a beast. It is a wild ride that you can't prepare for because everyone's grief looks different. And so in these eight months, I've learned so much about grief and the grief grieving process and how I personally deal with loss and how my husband deals with loss and how our grief and our navigating loss can look very different. From and each other? From each other. Yeah. And Right away in the hospital, you know, just how we handled it. He arrived as I was being wheeled into the recovery room. And right away, we both handled it just so much differently than each other. And his grief looked very different than mine. And, and it's still describe them? You know, I had to be the one, like I said, you know, I was kind of glad that he wasn't there because I would have had to support him as well and supporting my own self through that but right away you know he started crying and his grief was very physical and he was very emotionally upset and I was still very 
in disbelief. I was in the shock and denial of grief. And I think he already had gone to the pain and the guilt stage of grief. Like he right away wanting, you know, to call all of his family and get that support. And he needed the faces to be there next to him. He needed the voices to tell him that, you know, he was loved. And I wanted none of it. I didn't want anybody there. And, you know, to the whole stage of these last eight months, I've just wanted to be very private in my own grief. And which is ironic because now I'm on a podcast. (laughs) But I wanted to be very private and he needed all of that support. He needed the room full of people giving him hugs and supporting him. Have you been able to find some common ground? Yeah, you know, we've definitely had moments of common ground and we've definitely come together in our grief ultimately. But I think that's something that is very important to think about when you're thinking about loss is it can be isolating from your partner as well. And the way that you handle your grief doesn't look like the way that your mom would handle her grief or your partner would handle their grief or the way that maybe you would have handled your grief years prior or with a different relationship. And so we've been able to find common ground, but it was very, very difficult at first just because we were grieving differently. But ultimately we realized that, you know, coming together is what we needed. Again, I'm just really grateful to you. This is obviously still quite raw and, you know, it makes sense that it would be. And for you to be interested to reach out to us to want to share your story, because ultimately, while birth tends to go pretty well and pregnancy tends to go pretty well, this happens. Anybody who's in the birth world for a long enough period of time will see it. And it's always so difficult and so challenging and hard and sad. And, you know, some people who listen to our podcast are birth providers. We have medical doctors, we have midwives, we have doulas and nurses. And some people are expecting or new parents or people just curious about pregnancy. And in all those groups of people, I think that being able to hear someone, you know, strong and courageous to be so upfront and real about the story and the journey and the experience that you had, you're definitely, definitely going to help people out by sharing. So I I really appreciate you. Is there one take-home idea or message or thought or resource that you can think of that might be helpful to somebody else should they end up in this situation? I mean, yes, yes, yes. I have so much, so much to say, but yes, I think allowing yourself to grieve and allowing yourself, all those emotions are justified. You know, I thought there were only five stages of grief, but I've learned that there are up to 12, but seven, Um, you know, the pain and the guilt and the bargaining and the anger, all of those are so so real. And I would encourage anybody to be open with themselves and feel whatever they're feeling and know that that's okay. And I would hope 
to encourage you to have grace and show yourself grace and allow yourself that that time to to grieve and to heal the way that you feel like you need to heal whether that's like my husband you know surrounding yourself with a lot of people and you know getting all the hugs and the kisses and the you know support um or whether it's like me you know just really focusing on my own self and processing the grief and navigating i tried to best steer myself and learn all that i could about grief kind of like how i went through the birth process you know i wanted to research all about it and learn and allow myself to understand everything so i would say that just give yourself time you know a loss will break you and you'll feel dead and you will feel like you're at the end but it won't it won't end you 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 can find out a lot about yourself and a lot, a lot about your own value systems through grief but ultimately i think what helped me the most was getting therapy and reaching out to a specific provider for maternal mental health and that was a very difficult thing to do not because i wasn't searching for it or not because i felt like i didn't know where to look but because there's not a lot of, of resources i think that are readily available um when i left the hospital the hospital gave me all these really well-intentioned brochures of grief support groups and you know navigating loss and specifically infant loss and all of them were expired or all of them were groups that were no longer meeting or met on Tuesdays and they were very well-intentioned but therapy is ultimately what i found and a therapist who specializes in maternal loss and maternal mental health. I was very lucky. It's, it's really um, invaluable to have that kind of support from someone who's so focused. And, you know, it's such a unique area that um, yes. a, a generalist may be able to help you, but someone who has experience in this field will probably be able to help you better. Elise, again, I'm, I'm really sorry that you had this experience. And you're just such a passionate person. I can tell that you're uh, overflowing with um, maternal energy and love. And, you know, I just, I send you a blessing of comfort that you should find comfort and meaning and that moving forward that you should have no more loss or suffering or grief. Thank you. That means so much. I really appreciate you. At home, thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information, and we'll try to put some of the resources that Elise mentioned, visit us online at informedpregnancy.com. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a whole lot of questions for you. This kid's gonna test my will. I got a lot to learn and my babies too. This episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike. Dr. Mom Butt Bomb. 
As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby. Not even diaper rash.